Welcome to the section of our podcast we call In Conversation With, where we sit down with sports industry experts, women in sports and thought leaders and pioneers within the industry. My name is Lorraine and I'm joined by my co-host Patricia. Together with our amazing guests, we'll be discussing working data-driven, increasing visibility for women in sports, and leveraging tools such as a sports customer data platform to propel your sports organization to the next level. So without further ado, let's meet our guests. From working with the FC Barcelona Foundation and Impact Youth Foundation Ghana, to being a member of the board of directors at Lewis Football Club in the UK, and a contributor to the International Working Group on Women in Sport and co-founding Ready, a community of industry professionals coming together to learn about innovation, technology and Web 3.0. Lucy Mills is indeed leaving her mark in the sports industry and contributing to the betterment of sports for all. Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Lorraine. Uh, Patricia, it is wonderful to be here. We are very excited to have you on and we can't wait to get this conversation going. But before we begin, we like to start off our sessions with an icebreaker. Are you ready for that? Absolutely. Perfect. What's your favourite quote, expression or motto and why is it your favourite? I think a a motto or an expression that I keep returning to uh, over the years is know your audience. And I interpret this in a very wide way. I think obviously we know it is in a business sense about understanding our customers and our clients, but I think also we can take it into social settings and yeah, in, in society when we're being curious and understanding people and different perspectives and cultures. And um, this is something that at the heart of my, I guess, personality as a curious learner, but also my profession as, as working across different contexts. So yeah, know your audience is a good one for me. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a really great one. Love it. So, uh, Lucy, you have your fingers in so many pots uh, from the Youth Foundation in Ghana to the FC Barcelona Foundation and also being on the board of directors for several clubs. So, of course, uh, we're very curious to know what drives you to be so actively involved in this way. Yeah, you could say that I'm pretty sad and I dedicate all my time to football. (laughs) Um, But I think it's twofold. It's internally, I'm very um, internally driven and motivated and and externally. So having so many incredible initiatives around me um, wherever I've been and I've I've just had this desire to to learn, to contribute, to get involved. And each experience along the way has has shaped my understanding and I've been able to apply it in a, in a new and different setting. So uh, I feel very privileged that I have had the opportunity and have sought out the opportunity to to get to know and to contribute to, and to volunteer and to work in, in different initiatives um, o- over many years. And, and probably, yeah, what I was saying about being very sad is that um, I kind of don't see my work as a as a nine to five. My, my passion has always been and is football and particularly how football is this significant and influential and pervasive phenomenon for many people in many contexts around the world. And um, I'm just perpetually uh, curious and obsessed about this and, and enjoy seeing football being played out in different ways and I think this this is what drives me to get involved with lots of different types of football initiatives. Wow and then I would say it's not sad but rather a beautiful thing. 
at least that's what how I see it. So that's wonderful. But if you would take a step back, what would you say was the first thing that attracted you to football? If we would go back in time and what was it like that opened up that uh, door? What started it all? Yeah, so I'm 37 years old now. So I'm casting my memory back to being a young girl growing up in Yorkshire in the north of England, um, having a quite a sadly typical experience of being a girl, one of few playing football, fighting to play football, wanting to play football, kicking a ball around. Um, and I have a couple of distinct memories. Um, one was writing an essay about Mia Hamm. I think I was 12 years old. So clearly from a young age, I had this fire and uh, I obviously didn't articulate it then, but uh, a feminist activist approach to sport um, shaped on my own early experiences. Um, and yeah, football was around me. I, I Football is, of course, is a huge game in in England, in the north of England. I was a fanatic Leeds United fan, men's team, of course. I decked myself out in Ellen Road with all the gear and yeah, have early memories of football. Um, but really the, the most um, significant or transformative uh, moment was when I um, moved to, to Ghana, West Africa at the age of 18. Um, to contribute to a football academy as a football coach and it was the first time that I was seeing football and living football um, in, a, in a different context and it was the catalyst for the rest of my professional career over the next 20 years. I kind of got stuck on something that you said about your the thing that drives you is the passion and you described this fire that you always kind of had even as a little girl would you say that like this is something that you were born with or is it something that you kind of cultivated in the first instance? Because the reason I ask this is because I know that not everyone does what they're passionate about. Most people have a nine to five that they want to keep separate from, from themselves and from their personal lives and that kind of stuff. They have that distinction. But I know that other people as well, even though they have that distinction, they would like to sort of make that gel into one so is this something that you developed or is this something that you just were born with? Yeah, that's a really good uh, question and reflection, Lorraine, because I, I grew up in uh, enjoying football, but I did not know that professional careers existed, especially the, the, the types of jobs that I've had working in football for good and impact football and working in foundations and working in different countries. Uh, and so I actually took an academic path alongside, I guess, my passion of football. And I studied uh, international development, international relations, politics, economics, sociology, um, undergraduate and, and postgraduate levels in the UK and South Africa, because I was, I was curious about the world. I was curious and, and started to really understand that things that happen in society are not, they're not inherent or natural. There's nothing natural and in inherent about them. They're a process of, of you know, complex laws and history and, and intentional political decisions and economic decisions and so on. And this, all of this stuff, I was really, really curious and interested in. So actually, to answer your question, I, I was looking at, from a young age, looking at different types of careers that were related to, I guess, global issues. And... I continued playing football as a as a hobby, uh, well, as a in, in a team, and a few different teams along the way at university and club level. And when I was in South Africa studying 
I was volunteering for for a, a football for good organization that was working with grassroots football communities. And it was the early kind of the early stages days of what we would say this sector is now sport for development. And that really opened my eyes that my passion for sport and my passion for issues in society could actually be merged. So I guess, yeah, to answer your question, I, I don't think I set out to say I want to work in football. I had this in, innate in, inside passion and fire for, for the game. And that just grew and grew and grew. And then when I realized the extent of the interconnectedness with football and, and society and could relate the game to the different things that I was learning on an academic and level around sociology and economics and politics, then yeah, that propelled me into to make my professional career kind of the, the founding of my passion, if that makes sense. That really does make sense. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's always fantastic to be able to pick people's brains on these ki kinds of things, because I know that generally this is something that most people think about. This is something that I've thought about a lot as well. But where are you in your career right now? Because you, we mentioned, or, or you mentioned that you've got like 20 years of experience at this point, but where are you in your career? Like what questions or issues do you find yourself contemplating and um, what reflections and feelings do those evoke? I think I, I'm, I'm a, a perpetual optimist, although I do look around and and you know in my professional career my personal association with football and still have this frustration that you know it's incredible that there has you know particularly off the back of South Africa winning the AFCON women's championships England winning the European championships two of my they're two of my all-time favorite teams so it's been a great month of celebrations um and change is happening there's more more interest more investment um equal pay is on the agenda uh, more visibility but really the the positive statistics are only from a, a handful of concentrated countries right and there are disparities within in the game and, and across the world but also within the women's game growing disparities so i think i'm at a point now in my career where i've worked in a number of different countries at, at elite professional women's football to um, grassroots uh, football for good and impact football. Um, and I'm contributing with all of those different experiences that I've had in a, in a voluntary or an advisory way on a, on a couple of different boards alongside my work. And I guess on a personal level, reflecting on, we need more solutions. We need more um, equity within, even within the women's game. And so I guess I straddle optimism, enjoyment of the things that I'm doing, but very, very conscious that this progress that we're seeing is is very skewed and 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 concentrated in a in in a small area. That reminds me so much of something that we spoke to about Pato. Uh, um, with Pato, I mean, sorry, she's a woman who um, has her own magazine, football magazine, and that is something that she spoke about, where she was saying that you see all this money starting to come in, but it's actually quite concentrated on one side. And when you look at qualifying matches, you find that certain clubs win 15-0, win 20-0. And so it's like certain clubs really have the resources, but other clubs are still struggling with, with pay, with facilities, with just being able to even practice and all those kinds of things. So um, that's a very uh, relevant and super resonant 
uh, thought that we've also kind of reflected on as well. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, you've spoken a little bit now about things you wish would have been better in the industry when it comes to culture. Uh, are there any more things you can think of uh, that you have seen throughout these years and that should be improved today? So uh, besides what you've already uh, covered. Yeah, so I, I think maybe three things here that are you know, perpetual and, and systemic challenges. I think there's I think governance is one of the biggest issues facing women's sport today. Um, the consequence of bad governance at worst lets abuses to women in sport go freely, mismanagement of funds and decision makers that don't have women's sport at the heart of, of the decisions that they're making. So I think governance is, a, is an issue that is still uh, very much should be front and center for, for us as a community. I think we also have a sort of link to that, uh, an issue with gatekeepers and gatekeeping, and this can manifest in different ways. We can talk about gatekeepers of, of sports education, a filter on who can afford, who can access, who is given permission to such education and qualifications through to the institutions in sport that are centralized powers and, and retain a lot of the, the powers often not to the benefit of, of women. And then I think thirdly, on a more practical level, and something that I work on, I guess, day in, day out, and it's like my, my focus is, are we thinking about designing and redesigning sports programs with the needs and the realities of girls and women in mind so that they're centered, right? So that that we have the the space and the environment and the language and and the content and and the yeah the science there's so much that goes into that and I think we we've there's a lot of talk in 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 sport about women's sport not simply copying men's sport but having its own trajectory and I think until we recognize that how we design and deliver sports it's not simply just copying how we design and deliver for boys and men. I think that's something that I try to to look at and analyze in the projects that I manage at work or the sports environments that I've contributed to or been involved with. Um, so yeah, I think a, a redesign of sports spaces is is also probably my third challenge. Or You know what's so striking, Lucy, that everyone's story is different and everyone tells a different story but when you look at it there's some similarities that are just so jarring in terms of the stories that we hear um we had um alba on the podcast she runs the women in action sports network so she's really into like snowboarding and all that kind of those kinds of sports and something that she spoke about was the fact that um snowboard snowboarding and motherhood and you know, like I, mm -hmm. I'm not a mother, so I've never thought about it. And when you think about sports and the way they were designed historically, they were designed by men for men. And she mentioned as well that there were some women during the um, Olympics during because it was kind of like COVID and that kind of stuff when they couldn't bring their new their babies that they were nursing with them. And so mm -hmm. having to have that conversation of like, what about nursing mothers? You know, it's like everyone's experience is different, but there's also just those similarities that you hear around uh, women's sports and women in sports that you kind of that kind of make you go I'm really excited about what's happening right now and I'm excited for the future but I'm also kind of like 
shocked that these things that even I'm missing, you know, because it's not like, oh, they're all getting it wrong. It's like, I'm even missing this, but I'm concerned, you know? So it's like, it's quite, um, yeah, it's quite a thing to kind of keep being from confronted with the same information. And you'd mm-hmm. think like, okay, now we all know this. How come change is this slow in a way, you know? I digress. <laughs> yeah, but um, so we've spoken about all the things that we wish could have been changed or could be changed but what is a, what is it about football that kind of once you got into the industry that made you go ah this is it I really love this and I want to continue working in this and just push for change yeah I, I always I always enjoyed playing the game obviously being with teammates I mean my team in South Africa we had nine different nationalities on the team uh, a lot of fun with different <laughs> language and cultural differences and I think there's something really special about that team dynamic. I, yeah, and I think the people that you come across and that you meet often working in and around football, um, there is that passion and connectivity with the sport, which makes it a really energizing place to be. I think particularly in women's football, when where you have these activists and pioneers and, and visionaries over the decades who you end up meeting somehow and it's so so inspiring and I was at the Equality Summit in London a few days ago and there were so many uh, football soccer legends there who have made their mark on the sport and changed the sport for the better and there's the humility in the room to sit and have a conversation regardless of you know whether you're a student or you've played in the Olympics and so I really like that about uh, women's football in particular and um, I think on a, in terms of programs and why I'm a big advocate of designing purposeful, intentional football-based programs, because they can reap so many benefits for people who participate in them, regardless of whether they're talented on, or not, or, or able-bodied or, or not, is that um, it is a, at its core a very simple game. It's low resource it's understood in in lots of different contexts it involves people and you can be you can be creative and flexible with it and and so i guess yeah from a playing perspective being on a team through to the people you meet in the industry um through to seeing how you can deliver when designed well football in in lots of different settings it's a really impactful tool Absolutely. And speaking of impact, um, when one looks at your CV, you can see that you sit on quite a few boards or you have sat on quite a few boards. So why, why was it important for you to go beyond the being part of a foundation and playing, but actually being part of a board and influencing from that perspective? I've, I've been on a couple of different advisory boards. So I sit on the advisory board for an academy in East Africa called Ascent Soccer. And Ascent Soccer delivers... Uh, holistic talent development of talented girls and boys from Uganda and Malawi, uh, providing them with with football opportunity, educational opportunity, and her life skills and life exposure, and is uh, yeah, is facilitating transformational education and and, and football soccer opportunities. And um, 
being an advisor there, obviously it's it's um, not kind of legal governance role. It's more about, okay, how can I bring the perspectives that I've had in different countries to maybe mentor the girls program manager or run a session with the players or advise the, the founding team on how they can be more gender inclusive. Another advisory position, again, in, in Ghana, as you mentioned, Impact Youth Foundation, it's a basketball youth focused organization. They really wanted to think about how to set themselves up as a, as a sustainable enterprise. So with fundraising and business development and grant writing, things and experiences that, that I've done over the years. So again, I think it's just a way to contribute to these great initiatives. I think um, being an advisor is a, is, a, is, an in, is a new and interesting role for me and it because you're not an operational uh, staff member uh, and it's quite sort of light touch in some instances and then you get drafted into things that very take up a lot of time and then nothing for a while right so it's um it's quite fluid and so I guess if if anybody feels like they have got uh, a couple of hours in their month and they they want to get involved with an initiative. There are brilliant organizations all over the world that are looking for different perspectives, skills and, and contributions. And I think it's a, it's a very nice way to, to broaden your own experiences too. And then about eight months ago, I joined the, the, the board of directors for Lewis Football Club, which was my first ever board seat position. And uh this felt quite daunting felt quite intimidating there's a lot of talk about getting women on boards uh there are not enough women on boards across the sport industry of course and the way that lewis football club is as a model it's it's a community ownership model so anybody all over the world can become an owner at a very low entry point of around 50 pounds and you have you know one vote one share and you're part of the governance structure of the club the board of directors is nominated from the owner owners and so i stood for election having been an owner for about two and a half three years because i thought that my perspective of being an owner overseas and the different experiences i had in football might be relevant and I might be a good representative of, of the owners and I was elected onto the board and so yeah I, I think it's important for us as women to recognize that we do deserve to be on boards that we do have a voice and perspective that is credible and that matters and we need to yeah break down the the, the fear and the the self-doubt to just put ourselves forward and put our hats in the ring and then once I've been on a board it's 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 a huge learning curve about um and I'm reading different things about governance and and being on a board and observing a lot as well and seeing how the more seasoned board members deal with decisions and conduct themselves in meetings and so yeah it's a huge learning curve but I definitely advocate for professionals particularly women to put themselves out there to consider an advisory position to consider a board of directors seat and push for that and show interest and um, I'm sure yeah people are increasingly supportive of, of supporting women who who want to do that and want to put themselves forward awesome 
Yeah, it's, it's so inspiring. And what would you say is the best part about having the opportunity to have, you know, this influence, having that ability to uh, make a difference and uh, be there? Since, like you said, it's a very powerful and, and very important role to have because you have the opportunity and the chance to make such a difference. I, I think it's a board position comes with a lot of responsibility and 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 it's a privilege and particularly for Lewis Football Club which is just uh, the kind of football club that I wanted to see and experience my entire life and it just wasn't there it's a club that made a simple governance decision five years ago to to divide its resources equally between men and women and has stuck to that ever since is a club and a, and a governance structure and a constitution that is coherent and authentic inside and out so I guess the highlight for me is, you know, I, I guess uh, it's not any old board, it's the Lewis Football Club board. And that for me is the highlight and the privilege. And uh, I would like to think that that, I, that I'm contributing something to the club and the movement, right? Because we're, we're a community ownership. We have 2,300 owners in over 36 countries. And what we're trying to do is to build this critical mass of people who believe that another football is possible and so contributing to that in a in a in a board capacity in an official way is is really is really exciting and it's a real privilege i think yeah that my highlight is simply being part of the the movement and the vision of the club that's fantastic and so inspiring once again um but lucy uh, not only do you work with contributing to making a difference in improving the experience for women in sports but like we've mentioned before you also work for fc barcelona foundation and um, where your focus is on players with a refugee and migrant background and of course we're very curious to learn more about what you do there so tell us uh, what do you do there yeah thanks patricia so I guess, yeah, and it's not just the uh, players, right, with refugee and migrant backgrounds, but people, right? So the foundation of FC Barcelona, it's a department within the club. It's uh, an important entity that is able to bring to life the values of the club, to transmit the importance and, and the magic of the tool of sport to promote social inclusion and and different social outcomes. And refugees and, and, and migration is something that the club embraced as a as a stance and, and backing with people from refugee and, and migrant backgrounds for many years and so i've been working on programs social programs uh, for the past four years and and sports-based programs that include people who are on that journey right so people who are in transit or are in host communities in refugee camps newly settled into a country and we run sports-based programs that try to promote uh, emotional well-being, physical well-being, connections, friendships, social relationships. We also try to use the the, the brand of Barca, which is, of course, very influential to make a positive statement about the fact that refugees are people. And so we're talking about human rights and human opportunity. So just to give you an example of one project that I've been very, very involved in uh, here in Catalonia, we collaborate with a football NGO called Ramasa. And Ramasa is a small football club that really understands the transformative potential of football. 
um, to impact on people's lives. And the kind of work that they do is so progressive and so inspirational, given that they're largely volunteer driven and and they you know they play amateur football and so we started to partner with them uh, over a year ago on a project that was for newly arriving women so refugee women migrant women so creating the the space for women who have undergone difficult journeys and and traumas and no, don't know anybody uh, speaking all kinds of different languages and we have women from 12 different nationalities and, and we and we created this football program and I play as well every Wednesday and we use different methodologies that are inclusive that mean that any woman regardless of ability or age can really enjoy and participate and then because we have the footballers the the anchor for for the project we've then been able to do lots of other really cool stuff to bring the women together and to connect them to different um catalan um, companies and um, different groups and we've done excursions and parties and things like that so we do these types of programs at the foundation um, that recognize the power of sport and we develop methodologies that focus on inclusion and fun and participation and we work with all types of children and young people in different settings around the world. Um, I'm so um, inspired and in awe just listening to all of these amazing things that you're doing because it shows just one person can do so many things and have so much impact and Lucy you have that it's just so inspiring and uh, speaking of inspiring uh, there are many women out there who like yourself have the passion to make a difference so to any women in sports that are listening right now uh, and of course, to any men out there who want to be allies of women in sports, what would your advice be to them? So, yeah, I guess it, it depends on where you're at in your journey. I think if you're a young person starting out and you're wanting to break into sport, then you can, first of all, use the tools that are available to us now to what your LinkedIn and Twitter to get close to the types of people and roles and positions that you you're interested in and um, you can also create connections and start um, sharing your views and the type of work you're doing whether it's voluntarily or, or or otherwise and they are tools that weren't available for us for example when we were starting out in sport and I think for for any maybe in 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 a position where you're already working in sport that those same young people need a bit of a, a leg up, right? Like we're coming out of a pandemic, um, people are working from home, there's a economic and job crisis situation happening right now. So where possible, if it's in an advisory position, if it's in a mentorship position, if it's a open up your calendar for five, 10, 15 minutes a week for a young person, I think that would be greatly received by young people entering into the sport and because I've seen it uh, myself um, on a few different occasions and then yeah I think there's a really strong vibrant community of individuals both in many places physically but also virtually and so I guess this kind of networking of course it's good to make contacts and learn but I think it's also a sport a, a source of inspiration often um, individuals particularly working in women's sport are facing daily hurdles and challenges and frustrations and fighting and doing five people's jobs and so having this network of like-minded people and events that you can go to or 
webinars you can check in online and discuss things with these are all things that are so readily available now and there are people out there to find that motivation and inspiration and then maybe if we could kind of make it even broader from the individual's perspective to more the sports organizations like you have so much insight already in the sports industry like what concrete things can sports organizations really just start working with right now to ensure that they drive inclusion, they drive equality. And I know you mentioned a few things that aren't fantastic at the moment. So we've, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but just uh, as a kind of rounding off thought for sports organizations, what, how can they actually kind of start to give this a push? They have everything they need within their organizations because they have women at all levels or at least lower levels. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's not a laughing matter, but yeah. So listen to the women, get them in the room, put them forward, promote them, get them to events, get them representing, give them the space, give them the coaching. There might be an overinvestment needed for say a woman coach or a woman manager or a certain professional because Um, depending on their background they may not have had the same training and so we just need to recognize this but I would say that the answers are are staring at you (laughs) below (laughs) yeah yeah that's a powerful one because often we well this I'm speaking from my own personal experience so I don't know if people can relate to this but sometimes I feel like when I'm trying to tackle something that I'm passionate about I think about all the things that I don't have to tackle this issue instead of thinking about okay just look right around you look in front of you what can you do today instead of just postponing it for tomorrow or next year when we have this we will do that but what can you actually start doing right now and just look around you you know that's a powerful powerful point I think by now the listeners are probably thinking this woman sounds epic and fantastic and we would love to connect with her or maybe even check out her projects is there anything exciting that you're working on right now that they can check out after this podcast yeah so I've already mentioned Lewis Football Club it's a football club in the south of England please do check out the website and all of the amazing stuff that the club is doing we've just launched a documentary it's free and accessible so anybody can watch it's 50 minute documentary on YouTube so go to lewis.com lewisfc.com website linkedin twitter the usuals and and you can read more about the club maggie murphy is the ceo brilliant leader um and and then the other project that um we've just launched recently uh, it's called ready and it's uh it's a learning community all about uh, innovation tech and web3 the emerging blockchain technological revolution and its relevance and significance for women's sport. So we launched it, Aisha and I, my teammate, a few weeks ago. The intention really was to get women's sport and and women working in sport to start learning and, and being curious and and being closer to these very jargon waffle like waffling difficult concepts of web3 you know nfts and metaverse and cryptocurrencies it's a world that's full of hype and confusion and at the same time we're seeing web3 intersect with with sport in increasing ways and particularly being concentrated among men's top-end professional sport with women hardly in the room so the first phase of ready is really it's it's education focused it's triggering curiosity and learning and having fun with these topics recognizing that 
Web3 and blockchain technology is just another form of innovation. And women and women's sport, of course, are super well poised to to leverage innovation. We've been doing it for years, decades. So yeah, that's a project. It's called Ready. We have a, a website and we've got a course coming out, an introductory course on Web3 and sport with a particular focus on the potential for women's sport. And we're doing a few workshops with different women's sport collectives and groups. And yeah, really um, just on a learning journey, very curious about this phenomenon of Web3. Perfect. And we will link everything in the description box. So please check out Ready and check out the lewisfc.com website. Lucy, it's been a fantastic, fantastic conversation. I've personally learned loads and I just want to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and just sharing all of this information with us and with our audience. So thank you. Yeah, and thanks so much. It's a real pleasure and, and I love this initiative that you're doing. So thank you very much. If your goal is to deliver a world-class supporter experience at every game and you want to know how you can meet that goal and get started today, then visit our website at datatalks.se and fill out our demo form to experience firsthand how we can help you. Or you can sign up for our masterclass or email list to get exclusive materials such as ebooks and case studies that will help you meet your goals better. Until next time, stay productive. Data Talks, we fill the stadium, you focus on the game.